Uh, today, God, we pray that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be ready to hear your word and your uh, challenge, God, to us. Pray, God, that we would uh, take all of what has happened in our lives today, God, and bring all of that in, bring all of that in right where we are. And God, we pray that you would use these moments to refresh us and renew us, but also to motivate us. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be, would, would really rest on us in the next few moments, God, as we open your word. And help us to be prepared for that and ready. And God, help us to, to know that when we are coming together, God, we're coming together for a reason, for a purpose. And and so, God, help, help, help us see your mission. We pray that together in, in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been in a series called All In, and when we sing songs like the one we just did, you can have it all, God. I mean, even when we sing those words, I just wonder, do we really know what we're saying to the Lord? And we've said that in our relationship with Jesus, we want to invite God into our decisions. We want to keep God in the front of every area of our lives. We want to entrust our future to a faithful God. We want, we want to say, God, that whatever happens, we want to know that you're in charge. And every day, every second, every decision that we make is really a matter of trusting God. We want to inspire others with our commitment to Christ. And we want to, we want to inherit a true life, both now and in the life to come. And our key scripture for this has been 1 Timothy chapter 6 and you can read that. In fact, I challenge you this week to get into your word and read 1 Timothy chapter 6 and just ask the question, God, what does this say to me? What does this verse say to me, God? What do you want to teach me out of 1 Timothy chapter 6? And what do I need to learn? And just pray, God, let your word speak to me. But I want to move up from verse 17 to verse 12, and it says this in verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Now, how many of you knew that's what you were signing up for when you became a Christian? How many of you knew that when you signed up to be a Christian, you signed up for a fight? I'm guessing most of us didn't think about that. I'm guessing that most of us thought we were just signing up for hell insurance. I'm guessing most of us just thought, hey, when we signed up to become a Christian, we, we, we heard the people around us say that when you become a Christian, Jesus will be your friend and heaven will be your home. And you'll have forgiveness of sins and all of those things. I'm guessing that probably when somebody told you about Jesus, they didn't say, hey, listen, you're signing up for a fight. We, we heard the words like, God has a good plan for you. We heard the promises like, my God will supply all your needs. We heard the words of Jesus, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. Those are all true, and those are the words that we embraced when it came to saying yes to Jesus. But you may not have focused on words, other words of Jesus. In this world, you'll have trouble. And if people hate me, they're going to hate you also. I think that is why when the slightest hardship comes, when the smallest little sign of trouble happens, so many Christians become disillusioned and quit. They check out. Nobody told us this. And when the fight comes to us, when the struggle is real, we so often are surprised. Now, there is a passage that speaks directly to this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, and it says this. Peter says, Dear friends, 
do not be surprised at the fiery trial or the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Isn't that a great verse? Man, we need that verse today. Don't be surprised, dear friend. Don't, what are you surprised about? Why are we acting like something strange is happening to us? Don't be surprised. Don't you know that when you signed up for this, you signed up to join an army. You were entering a war. Fight the good fight of faith. What were you expecting? When you decided to follow Jesus, and you were, you were entering a spiritual war. Before you followed Jesus, there was no need for Satan to kind of attack or come after you. It's when you start following him and actually doing something for the kingdom of God, the fight is on. It's like if you and I did go out and we said we're going to have a basketball game and, and we're going to run back and forth, and, and, and I, but I never take a shot. All I do is just stop at half court and I just watch you guys play and then I go back to the other side and I don't really play defense. What are you, you going to do with me? going to let me go. No big deal. We don't care. He's not a threat. But what happens if I start, if I'm a baller? What happens if I start going to the hoop? What happens if I start hitting shot after shot after shot? What are you going to do? Double team, triple team. This guy's a threat. And when it comes to our relationship with Jesus and saying yes to him, when we when we do nothing for him, when we do nothing for the kingdom of God, when we are just on the sidelines, then what happens? The attacking is, is great, but when you begin to, when you really begin to hoop it up for Jesus, when you start to really be on the offensive, what happens? The attack is on. And, and that's why 1 Peter, it says, don't be surprised about the fiery ordeal that has come on you, because this is a spiritual war. And if you turn one page over in your Bible, you see 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, and it says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Did, did, did the thought ever occur to you that you woke up this morning and you have an enemy? Did the thought even enter your mind that as you wake up and walk through your day, you have an enemy that is on the prowl seeking to devour you? Be alert. Be self-controlled. As much as the leaders of this church are trying to get you to love Jesus and serve him and sacrifice for him, there is an enemy right now that is trying just as hard to distract you. Everything he can to tempt you. Everything he can to put doubts in your head. Every painful thing that happens to you in this life, the enemy is saying to you, where is your God? Does he care about you? Does he not love you? Because there is a war that is on, and we have to be ready for it. That's why I love this passage. Don't be surprised. I love that Peter actually uses the word at the beginning of this, beloved. Beloved. In the original language, it doesn't say dear friends. It says beloved. In other words, I love you guys. And so sometimes when you love somebody, you have to give them hard truth. I love you, so don't be surprised. You're in a war. Can you guys imagine a soldier at war running back to his commanding officer and crying, they're shooting at me, real bullets. And he would look at that soldier and say, what did you expect? That everything would be nice and easy? That, that, no, we're at war here. Why are you surprised? 
And so Peter tells these faithful believers who are being persecuted, by the way, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're enduring. And by the way, that's not figurative. These individuals, these believers in Jesus were literally facing fiery trials. We believe this is a reference to the Roman emperor Nero, who to light his garden was literally staking Christians in his garden and burning them at the stake. So when Peter writes, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal you are facing, friends. Let's not Americanize this as if somehow this was just something that's like, oh, it's no big deal. That must be figurative. We're talking about people that were literally dying for their faith in Jesus. Jesus told us in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind they hated me first. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. Think about it. Jesus said, if you're going to sign up for this, you need to know what you're signing up for. No servant is greater than his master. They hated me. They're going to hate you. Don't be surprised. These fiery ordeals are given to test you. And I've been thinking about that testing. What does that mean? The Bible makes it clear that there are those who will fall away in times of testing. Jesus one time talks about four soils. And he compares it to the Christian life, and he says there are those that when the message is given, the seed, the message is given, it falls on a path, and it's immediately eaten by birds. It's not penetrating. The seed doesn't go into the soil. And I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's some of you guys. I don't know what's happening to you. I know that some of you feel like you're disillusioned, or you're disappointed, or you've been hurt in some way. The message of God's love fell on your heart, but... It was quickly taken away. And then he said there's other soil, and that is rocky soil. And he, this is the kind of soil that when the seed falls on it, it falls on the rocks, but then it falls into the dust that's around the rock there, and it immediately springs up. It has no root because it's not good soil, but it immediately springs up. And something superficial pops up. But when the first trial comes, when the first wind comes, that individual is out. They are gone. They quit. Because in times of trial, that deep root wasn't there, it wasn't developed. And then there's other seed that takes root, but then there are weeds that come up and they choke it out. In Mark chapter 4, if you just read, this is in three of the Gospels, this story. In Mark chapter 4, verse 19, it says, what are the weeds? He says, the cares of this world, the worries of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for things. Those are the things that choke it out. In other words, that, yeah, you were doing pretty good. Your seed was developed. You had roots. But then the weeds came in, and maybe the desires for things choked it out, or maybe the riches choked it out, or maybe the worries of this world choked it out. And that is where we are today. So many people unsure about where they are they were there for a while. The soil was rich. They had developed some roots. But then the worries of this world choked it out. There's so many cares in this world right now. And then there is the good soil. And the message lands on that. It goes deeply in. It penetrates the heart. No matter what concerns there are in the world. No matter what, what else tempts them. No matter how difficult things appear. The roots are deep. They are all in. And how does that person respond? How do they react? They react 
by feeling in the middle of the trial and the temptation, they feel at peace. It's hard to explain, but it's true. And Peter says, don't be surprised about the fiery ordeal that has been brought upon you. It is there to test you. And that testing is a good thing. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, even while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to prove the genuineness of your faith. Maybe some of you have been there. Maybe in the middle of some kind of a trial or sometime where God called you out of yourself and you got uncomfortable. I just shared my faith for the first time. You finally get that courage to tell your coworker about the difference that God made in your life. You're nervous, you're anxious, you're insecure, but you walk away from the conversation. You don't even know what the result is, but you're like, yes, I did it. I shared my faith. I don't know, it wasn't perfect, but I did it. I trusted God financially. I know that there's a lot of uncertainty around me today, but one thing I know for sure, God loves me. He wants good things for me. He tells me when I trust him with finances and I give back to him that he will give back to me in ways I never expected. So you take that step of faith in your giving and you, and you start to give to the Lord and, and you make a sacrifice in some way and then you go, yeah, I did it. I'm the real deal. I passed the test. I trusted God. I just decided to serve somebody. I helped someone in need. I took the risk. I got over my fear of teaching children in Kid City. I rearranged my schedule so I could visit someone who was sick. And you walk away from that and you go, yes, I did it. It was hard. But man, I feel so blessed. There is such joy that happens when you move from being a consumer to being a contributor Believe it or not, there is peace that happens in the middle of that. And there's peace that happens when you suffer. And I've seen that over and over again during times of suffering, real hardship. That's where so, you so often find the peace that passes understanding because that is so often where you find the Prince of Peace. James 1.12 said, Blessed is the one, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one who, who perseveres. That's the person that loves God. And that verse is so interesting to me because he says, you want to show your love? You show your love when it's tested. Maybe things are hard, okay. Maybe things are challenging. Maybe I lost my job. Maybe I feel financial pressure. Maybe I feel discouraged, but I still love God. God looks at that person and says, blessed is the one who goes through trial because it, it, it shows that they love me. Blessed are they. They love me. They don't love me when I just give them everything they, that they want. They love me when times are hard. And we realize there is this holy God who came from heaven, gave us all for me, and I love him, and I love him so much that I want to give and serve because that's where our love is demonstrated. Verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 4. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. These are the words from Peter written to, in the context of believers in Jesus who literally are losing their homes. They've been scattered. Christians are being tortured and torched. 
To those people in that extreme time, Peter writes these words of comfort. This is not a surprise. It happened to Jesus. It's going to happen to you. Expect it. But in the middle of that, you're going to find joy. It's amazing. One of the greatest examples of joy that I've ever seen in the midst of trial uh, came, and for our church, really, came two years ago uh, when my sister Sherry endured her battle with cancer. She inspired all of us with her faith and her joy and her peace in the middle of that storm. I will never forget uh, uh, just a few weeks. Her last week here actually at church was such a yeoman's work, a warrior's work for the Lord. She played piano. She couldn't even come up on stage. She could not even come up on stage. She couldn't make it. She played from down on the floor piano, the most challenging music we had ever done. She had arranged it all, and she played that day. Her fingers, she couldn't even feel because she had neuropathy in her hands. And yet she did it without complaint. Three months before she passed away, she came on this stage and she gave a testimony to our church about what she had endured and what she had learned. I think it would be good today to be reminded of it. Watch this. Most of you know that I was diagnosed with cancer 16 months ago. Um, this has been the biggest trial of my life, and uh, it's forced me to rely on God a lot more than I ever have before, because sometimes I, there are things that I just can't deal with on my own. Um, last week, Stephen said, maybe instead of praying for change in circumstance, we should pray that God uses the circumstance to change us. So I thought I'd tell you just uh, four of the ways that God has changed me, the things that I've learned over the past year and a half. Um, I've learned it's a lot easier to be wise about other people's stuff than about my own. <laughs> um, I've learned that I have to allow myself to be where God has put me, and that's with my health and with my stamina and with my resources, all of which are a lot more limited than they used to be. Um, Growing roots for my faith and the good time um, have uh, really helped me to stand firm during this storm. And uh, I've learned that there's no end to the love that God's people show. And I want to thank you for that, for the love and the care and the prayers that you have uh, given to me and sent up for me. Um, they are very precious. The news about my cancer is not good. Um, the medical community doesn't know how to cure it. Uh, the treatment that I'm on now has about a 30% chance of holding it back. Um, if that doesn't work, the next treatment, which is a lot more toxic, has like a 5 to 10% chance. Do I wish that the circumstance were different? Yes. Um, and I pray that it would be different. And I know that you pray that for me. But that's not the most important thing to God. He cares a lot more about what's happening in my heart than what's happening in my body. Um, this morning we sang, we go from glory to glory to glory. 
will never be the same. He takes me higher and higher and higher. And I'm forever changed. And on the surface, it seems like that song is talking about the mountaintops of life. Like when things are great and we go to glory with Jesus and um, uh, he takes us higher to him and, and closer to him. But I don't know about you, but in the good times of life, I rely on me a lot more than I rely on God. And while the mountaintops are great, they don't really help grow my character. When I grow, it's when I really need to lean into God's strength because mine is gone and he takes me higher. And I have to depend on his understanding because I have none and he takes me higher. And I have to trust in his love when I feel abandoned and he takes me higher and I'm forever changed. And I don't have to know if I'm going to live 20 years or two years or even the next moment. And I don't have to know if God's going to heal this body or if he's going to heal me by giving me a new heavenly body. Because I know whatever he does, it's going to be the best thing for me. My job is to trust in him, to follow him, to grow closer to him, and just let him take care of the rest. I want you to listen to James chapter 1 again. And let's just insert Sherry's name. Blessed is Sherry, as she persevered under trial. Because having stood the test, she received the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There's peace in suffering, especially when you suffer for Christ. Verse 14 says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and God rests on you. When are you blessed? Why are you blessed? The blessing is that the Spirit of God rests on you in the very moment when you need Him the most. You ever been in a moment where, where maybe you're being called out for Christ or you're being insulted for Christ? In that very moment, you are blessed because the Spirit of the living God rests on you. As much as you long in your life for comfort and security, the times when you step out in faith, those are the times when you experience the Holy Spirit in your life. Those are the times when you have the most peace in your life. A lot of times I hear people say, I'm not experiencing God. I'm not experiencing God. And so we try to manufacture ways to go to the mountaintop. We try to manufacture spiritual moments. We think maybe if I sit in my comfortable car and I listen to K-Love, that will help me experience God. Or maybe I'll sit in my house and bring my Christian friends together and we'll talk about how much we love Jesus together. And those are good things, but listen, the spirit of the glory of God rests on you in times of testing, in times of persecution, in times when you're not comfortable. And the problem with us today, honestly, is that we have very, very low tolerance for being uncomfortable. Travel around the world, and you'll see a completely different picture. 
I think about the ministry of I.J. Law in India. The churches that are under constant threat of severe persecution. Pastors who have been beaten. Women who have been raped. Here is a Facebook message from I.J. Law, the leader there in India. This is Pastor Cody Reddy. He was attacked by extremists at his residence. I.J. writes, May the power of the resurrection of our Lord be witnessed and impact the darkness of our world. Let's not forget those, he says, who are risking their lives and carrying their cross each day. We won't forget. The Spirit of God rests on them. Last night I spent about two hours going to a website called persecution.org. You should go there. It really tells the stories of people all over the world that are literally facing torture, electrocution, burning at the stake for the sake of Christ. Oh, in our American version of Christianity, the slightest little uncomfort calls us out. The slightest little time of trial makes us quit. That's why it says, let's rejoice in these times. Because in the middle of that, you will experience the Spirit of God in that way more than you have ever experienced in your life. We in our church, we sing a song called Another in the Fire. There is grace when the heart is under fire. Another way when the walls are closing in. And when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I'll never be alone. We sing those songs, but I wonder if we really know what they mean. A little trial, a little bit of uncomfortableness. Jesus, even in the pain, is so good. We experience him in the trial. Friends, why do you need a comforter if you're comfortable? It's when in these times of trial that suddenly we realize that we can, that we, that we actually are okay. That we're more okay than we've ever been. And that's the way it was in Scripture. Stephen is about to be stoned in Acts 8. Suddenly he looks to heaven and says, I can see the Son of Man. It's the craziest thing. I can see Jesus right now. <laughs> so go ahead and throw your rocks. And they stone him to death. But his face was like that of an angel, the Bible says. It's like he, he was like, I can't believe it. I can see you right now, Jesus. In the middle of the most severe trial, I physically can see Jesus. Isn't that true of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? Wait, we threw three of them in there, but there looks like there are four in there. There's somebody else in the fire. Do you see that? He looks like the Son of Man. It's in the midst of the trial that we see the Son of God. Or in Matthew 28, when we're on mission with Jesus, as you go and make disciples, baptize them and teach them to obey, I will be with you. When? It's a it's a conditional phrase. As you go, baptize and teach, I will be with you. You will be persecuted. You are going to be facing a fiery ordeal, but when you do, you're, you'll sense my presence in a way you never have before. And so I have to ask you a question this morning. Have you pursued all the other things, but you still feel like you're missing out on something? Have you pursued everything else? You're like, I, I'm trying to do this and this, but, but really you're not out of the comfort zone. I want to challenge you to begin to move out of the comfort zone today.
this, uh, yes, just, uh, just two days ago, Alex from the Middletown campus and I uh, made uh, a new friend. This is Sam. Sam is a grandfather. He lives in Middletown. We met Sam because he had a, we, we had 100 worship chairs, old worship chairs in the Middletown campus. We put them on Facebook for $5 a piece. Sam came to look at them. He wanted them. Why? Because he felt that God was calling him to start a church. He was getting out of the comfort zone. So we agreed on a price, but he didn't have any way to get the chairs there. So Alex and I took our two little trucks, and we stacked the chairs, and we took all of them in one load. I wish I had a picture of that. It was quite, quite impressive, actually. And we got to Sam's house, and we unstacked the chairs, and he began to tell us his story. He and his wife felt that God was telling them to start a church. And I told him, I was like, listen, I... I've been there, I understand that, and, and I said, this Sunday I'm preaching, I'm being uncomfortable for the Lord, and I told him, why do we need a comforter if we're comfortable? And he said, he said, you seen that movie, Field of Dreams, that movie when Kevin Costner feels like he's supposed to build a baseball diamond in the middle of a cornfield? He said he has a line in that movie that everybody thinks it says, if, they build, if we build it, they will come. He said, that's not what it says. He says, it says, if, they build, if we build it, he will come. I looked that up. It's true. Kevin Costner wanted Shoeless Joe Jackson to come. In the movie, Shoeless Joe Jackson was Kevin Costner's father. And Sam said, so we felt like if we build it, he will come. So every Sunday, we set up some chairs in our basement. I preach a sermon. It's just me and my wife. And the presence of God. I think at some point people are going to come. I felt a real kindred spirit with my brother. He was stepping out in faith. The only people he had was him, his wife, a hundred chairs, and the Holy Spirit. As Sam talked, I thought a lot about my own journey as pastor of Axis Church. I remember those feelings of fear and anxiety in the early days of the church. I remember thinking, I do not know who will ever come. But I do know that the Lord has told us to start a church. I remember those feelings of being uncomfortable. And uh, so much so that Josh and I even wrote a rap back then. Uh, it was funny. And, uh, but here's one of the lines. So God is calling you just like he called on me out of the day-to-day insecurity. To take a leap of faith where few have gone out of this thing we call the comfort zone. Aren't you glad called us, God called us out of the comfort zone to start a church called Axis? Oh, by the way, we just gave those chairs to Pastor Sam. Felt like the Lord was saying, you need to bless him. Just, uh, just for a minute, can, can you just imagine if Axe's church wasn't here? Can you just imagine, just what would it, how, what would, how would your life be different if there's no Axe's church, no Kala Coffee House, no CrossFit Mason, I would like to think that that would shake you a bit. I, I would like to think that you'd think, oh, man, what, what would we do? Jeez, it's so different. If you'd allow me, I would like to go below the surface with you for a minute and tell you that we are in the most challenging time of our church. We are dealing with more difficult situations than we have ever faced, and that includes even in the beginning of our church, all the way back to the early days. 
And as your pastors and leaders, we have helped people navigate through more difficult issues, more depression, more questions, more uncertainty, more tension in relationships than ever before. In addition, like other churches, we are forced, we are forced to shut down for a while. Yes, we stayed positive. Dad said, if you can't say it positively, don't say it. So I've always tried to do that. We went online. Our children's staff went to almost every home of the children into their driveways. We uh, held drive-in services. We did uh, weekly uh, online prayer moments. We held uh, weekly worship moments on Thursday nights. When it was time to reopen... We put protocols in place, we planned, and we prayed. From the stage, I talked about how much we appreciate the efforts of some very dedicated volunteers because it's always good to celebrate people who are working so hard. We try to keep things as normal as possible. But the truth is, things are not normal. Things are not okay. The truth is that there are a few people that are carrying the load for many. That is not right. That is not fair. That is not the church. A couple weekends ago, I was here. I walked through the lobby. There was no one at the front door to greet anyone. I thought, what would, what would somebody new to the church do for the first time? How would they be greeted? What if they had children? Where, where would they go? Our greeter leader has some very dedicated volunteers, but they're becoming fewer, and phone calls are not being returned. Our nursery volunteers are a skeleton staff now. We have three Three volunteers that are carrying the load, and that's not right. When called, some don't respond to our request for help. Others just say, I'm too tired. In our tech booth, we have a volunteer who has been here for six months straight. I think last weekend was only one of two weekends that he's taken off for six months. It's not just serving an hour either. He spent hours upon hours upon hours in the early days of the quarantine running wires, installing cameras, researching the system so that you can have a good worship experience in your home. And since then, he's here not just on Sunday. He's here every Wednesday night for rehearsal. He comes in every Sunday at 7.30 for rehearsal on Sunday, and he's one of the last ones to leave. And for him to carry that load, that's not right. That's not fair. And I could go through every department of this church You are enjoying the worship experience because there are very few dedicated people that are carrying the load, and it is time for that to change. This is not a time for church to retreat. This is not a time for us to back down. This is not a time for us to sit back and be uncomfortable. This is a time for the church of Jesus Christ to make an impact in our culture. This is a time for us to advance. Somewhere along the way, we as Christians forgot that the church is the one institution in the world that is not primarily there for those who are already in it. It is the one institution in the world that is primarily there for those who are not yet here, for those that are lost, for those that need hope in the middle of the storm. It is not about how convenient it is. It is not about our comfort It's not about how convenient it is to drink coffee in the comfort zone of our own home while watching a worship experience and then turn it off and forget all the effort that went into put what happened that day into your home. It is time for re-engagement. 
I've already told you that where we are financially as a church in the last two weeks have, have been better, and, and that's really great, and people are stepping up. But I can tell you this, things will look very different around here if we have another month like August, September, and October. We all must give regularly, consistently, and sacrificially. Church, my dear friends, I want you to know that I have full confidence that you will respond to the challenge. I have seen you do it before, and I know you will do it now. I have full confidence that you will email one of the staff members in an area that you want to volunteer and say, I'm ready to re-engage. I'm ready to, to spend time greeting or ushering or watching kids or cleaning the yard or making sure that this entrance out here looks beautiful instead of having leaves. Who does that? Most of your staff is part-time. We need people to do it. We need people to re-engage in groups, to figure out ways to be safe, but we need to do it. I know it's hard. I know it's challenging. I lived this. I know. But I can also tell you this, that when you get out of the comfort zone, it is the best place to be because that is where the Holy Spirit of God and His glory rests on you. So I want to pray for you. I hope today that I've opened your eyes, that what we do here matters, that there are people that carry burdens for you on behalf of you, and, um, and we all need to be participating and inviting people during this time. There is a spiritual need in our culture today that only the hope of Jesus can provide, and we have to all move off the bench off the sidelines and into the game so that we can have more and more people impacted by that. And so let me pray for you, God. God, I pray today that all of us today would embrace the challenge. We would understand the, what it means to, to say we don't want to be consumers, God. We want to be contributors. We realize that there is a fight that we are part of that there's a war that's going on, and that when that happens, we have to decide whose side we're on, and then we have to participate in that. It might be small, might be in small ways, but God, we have to have people do that so that the mission will advance. Some people say, well, why are we even doing Middletown at all? Why are we continuing to, to move forward on mission? Because lost people matter to God. Lost people in Middletown and Mason and Lebanon and Lakota and Franklin, God, we need to move forward in the best way that we can as the army of God who say, yes, we will sign up. Yes, we will advance. Yes, we will be part of the solution. So God, we pray for that. We thank you, God, that then the spirit of God will rest on us in the middle of that. We pray these things today in the powerful and strong name of our Savior and leader.